Yo, yo, welcome to another episode of the Clip City Podcast. I'm your host, Jovan Buha, Clippers beat writer for The Athletic. And today, to join me to break down the Clippers' Game 2 loss to the Dallas Mavericks, I'm joined by Mo DeKeel. Mo, how are you doing? I'm doing well, man. Another another appearance on Clip City. <laughs> you're, you're a regular at this point, man. It's, yeah. it's almost every week. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Uh, so... Quick recap here. The Clippers fell to the Dallas Mavericks 127 to 114 to even the best of seven series at one game apiece. Uh, This was a ugly game for the start for the Clippers. It was actually kind of mirrored game one, but in reverse where Dallas, I think, got up to a 15 to two lead um, and just really was in control from there. You know, there were multiple times the Clippers had runs. Uh, you know, I think I think tied it at one point. We're, we're within two or three points a couple times, but we're never able to get over that hump and, and actually take control of the lead, take control of the game. Uh, really, we're playing from behind for for the entirety of this game. And by the beginning of the fourth quarter, Dallas just kind of put it away. You know, midway through, uh, they got it back to double digits, and from that point on, um, you know, I think the Clippers might have cut it to eight at one point in the last three or four minutes, but. That was as close as it got. And, um, you know, Dallas uh, Clippers pulled their starters with a minute left. And uh, so Luca, 28 points, eight rebounds, seven assists, fastest player to 70 points in playoffs history. This guy's <laughs> going to be breaking a bunch of these records. Uh, you had Kawhi, who was brilliant with, with 35 on, on 10 of 21 shooting. Um, really has been able to get whatever he wants in this Dallas matchup dating back to the regular season. Uh, had a dunk on Dorian Finney-Smith off a drive, which I, I believe was his third dunk on, on Dorian this season. And he's just been able to bully him on, on drives and just with his strength and athleticism. Um, Paul George struggled 14 points, 417 shooting, uh, had three fouls in the first quarter, and that really threw him off. Uh, Lou had 23 points and seven assists off the bench. So let's get into this game. Um, defensively, after game one, Doc had mentioned the Clippers were not disciplined in their pick and roll coverage. He actually mentioned it a lot, uh, so much that I ended up writing about it. And one thing I had noticed in game one was that the Clippers' help uh, against Luka was just nonsensical. You know, there was one instance in which Lou Williams, like, half-hedged it over to help, but he was still too far from Luka to actually do anything. But then he left Tim Hardaway Jr. wide open in the corner, and and Hardaway hits a three. And they they lost Seth Curry a couple times and, you know, just were leaving guys open left and right. And you, you kind of saw that adjustment tonight where they weren't leaving guys as open, but then it opened up different stuff for Dallas. So what did you see with the Clippers pick and roll defense and, and where did things go wrong? I mean, it was all bad, to be honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> OK, well, there you go. I, 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 yeah, right. That's my analysis. Good talk. See you guys next time. Um, no, the to start with, you know, the they overcorrected the mistakes they were making, you know, and that's something that Steve Jones Jr. said on Twitter when, when him and I were going back and forth. And he's right. You know, everything you said, they were over rotating to Luca in game one. This time they weren't rotating enough, you know, right off the bat, you know, there was a play where Porzingis gets a dunk off a sideline out of bounds and Kawhi Leonard isn't over. Uh, I think the very next play, Luca gets a layup and Kawhi is there, but he's not really there. He's the low man, but he's kind of not over enough and and doesn't really put pressure on Luca. So I think, you know, that was a theme going all night for the Clippers. You know, I just felt like their low help 
was never on time if it showed up at all. And I just think there's a, a, a level of issues with just in, in that sense. Then on top of it, when it got to just the when the screens were happening, there were a lot of miscommunications. There were guys that were switching while somebody else was hedging. Um, there, there's just a whole bunch of no communication across the board. And this is something that the Clippers were aware was were, were worried about with Patrick Beverly being out because he's the one that talks the most. And I think that's something that Doc mentioned in the pregame. And it showed because it's just a matter of like they just weren't sharp with their rotations. And I don't know if it was some of it was they were afraid to leave the shooters like they were in game one or if it was just a matter of they couldn't handle the uh, uh, pressure that Luca was. But just the paint was wide open all night. And yeah, and, and one thing should have mentioned earlier was Patrick Beverly's absence. Um, you know, he didn't do a good job on Luca in, in game one. And I thought defensively was one of the guys that was overhelping and, and just leaving shooters. There was a couple of times late in that game um, where he, he left guys. But obviously, you know, a big blow to the defense, not having Pat Beverly. Um, you know, in, in my opinion, the Clippers' five best defenders are their five starters. And, you know, it is a bit of a defense heavy unit um, obviously you have Kawhi and PG leading the way offensively so you're going to be fine but um, you know the defense is kind of the calling card of that unit and the, the two guys replacing Pat were Reggie Jackson and Lou Williams who um, you know Reggie had been okay uh, pre-hiatus defensively you know uh, most of his minutes were against second units so um, it, it's kind of harder to get you know burned defensively in, in those instances and um, you know, a lot of times teams are targeting Lou or they're, they're targeting Trez. So I don't think Reggie was necessarily that bad um, defensively before the hiatus. But in the, you know, in the bubble games and in, in the seeding games, he's been really, really bad. And that has translated over to the playoffs. Uh, I think defensively, he's been a bit of a train wreck the, these first couple games. Like he'll have a couple moments here and there. He, he had one, you know, Luca drove on him once and, and he forced the miss. But um, for the most part, you know, I think he's one of the guys that, is switching w- without really communicating it and um, just, you know, making questionable help decisions either to help or not to help. Um, and, and, you know, that's before we even get into his offense, but Lou, you know, obviously as well is, is not a plus defender. Um, you know, frankly, is probably one of the worst defenders in the league, uh, at least on the perimeter. So, you know, those two guys replacing Pat were a big part of, I, I thought the point of attack defense today, you know, it just was like, you're going from one of the, you know, a all defense caliber guy to, in my opinion, two of the worst perimeter defenders on a, you know, good or, or contending teams in the, in the league. So that was a big difference. But, um, you know, what did, how do you think that affected it? Not having Pat and having Lou and Reggie trying to contain the ball. Cause I mean, I feel like they made Trey Burke like, a, look like an all-star at times. I mean, it was bad. And, you know, there's no denying how important Patrick Beverly is for all the, the talk we make of the Clippers depth. You know, when they don't have Patrick Beverly, their defense struggles. And it's not just communication, but just think about the guards coming off the bench. You know, Reggie Jackson's not a good defender. We know Lou Williams is not a good defender. He's so bad, we don't even think he should be playing in crunch time situations, right? So, and then you have Landry Shamit, another guy who's not a good on-ball defender against guards. So I just think, you know, you're, you have those issues. So whenever Beverly's out, you just know the defense is going to drop a bit. and 
it's it's an issue. And then it hurts in the communication. Again, it's just a constant talking and telling you, hey, I'm here. I'm, I got your help. I got your help. Or calling out switches or or just calling out the things that are going to happen. You know, it's 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 a big blow whenever Beverly's not there. And it's just that because you got to play these guys who aren't good defenders, you know, and, and hopefully, you know, Lou Williams, for everything he gave you up on defense, he he definitely made up for some of it on offense. But, you know, Reggie Jackson wasn't good on the offensive end tonight, so it was a definite blow. I just think across the board you have issues. So let, let's say Doc Rivers calls you uh, in 30 minutes and says, hey, Mo, I don't know what to do. Um, you know, I, I just rewatched the film. Let's say he watched the film somehow in the next 30 minutes. Um, <laughs> I just rewatched the game. Uh, what do you th- what adjustments do you think I should make defensively? What would you tell him? I think for starters, I think you shouldn't have Lou and Reggie at the sa- on the court at the same time and Shammy. I don't think you could have all three, you know, two of those three on the court at the same time. I think it's an issue defensively. I think it's easy to pick up, pick them apart. So I think that's the first thing. I think otherwise, you know, here's the ultimate thing. I'm not that worried about them, Yovan, because I just feel like it was a discipline thing. It was a discipline thing in game one for over-rotating. It was a discipline thing in game two for over-correcting from game one and not rotating enough, not communicating, not being as sharp. So, you know, I think that's an issue. And the other thing, too, is I think they need to get their big men up more. You know, they play drop coverage with the center. And I think when you have a guy like Luca, that's that's kind of like lunch for him. So the the drop coverage is something that the Clippers have done all season. I've written about this multiple times, but basically their base principles with their pick and roll defense are one through four. They're going to switch pretty much everything. Of course, there are exceptions. They don't want Reggie Jackson or Lou Williams switching onto like LeBron James or Giannis in like a pivotal possession uh, if they're out there. So you know they they will make some adjustments depending on the personnel. But typically one through four, they will switch everything. Uh, even sometimes one through five, if Jermichael or Marcus is at the five. And even with Trez, they'll switch him on to um, Luca or, or LeBron or some of the bigger ball handlers. Mm-hmm. Um, they feel comfortable switching him. But the centers, for the most part, will drop usually kind of between the three-point line and the free throw line, hang back a little bit, um, and, and that's to prevent a, a blow-by. Um, you know, that guy getting to the rim, that's to let the guy defending the ball to have space to recover and, and get around the screen. Um, and that is also to force a mid-range jumper, which the Clippers are happy to, um, you know, allow, which, you know, most of the elite defenses want to try to force you into the inefficient, um, you know, contested twos, uh, so to speak. So that has been the Clippers' base defense this season. They will make some adjustments if, if they're facing a Steph Curry, if they're facing a Dame Lillard, like those guys you can't drop under and, and just get, you know, let them walk into like a 25 footer. Uh, but with, with Luca, they've done a lot of dropping. In, in uh, game one in the second half, they, they adjusted a little bit and had Zoo play up a, a little bit closer to the three point line. Uh, that, that did get Luca to drive on him and get into the paint, but. Zoo actually did a pretty decent job of, I think he blocked him a couple times. He altered another couple and then Luca made a couple of tough ones on him. Um, but that's kind of what you're giving up. If you're going to have him play up is Luca's going to attack him off the dribble. Um, where do you fall on, on the Clippers dropping? And for this matchup specifically, is there an adjustment they can make? Um, can they maybe pre-switch with, 
they've done that with, with Lou Williams a little bit where, you know, when his man's coming up the screen, they'll have someone slide over and, and replace with him and, and they'll kind of switch before the screen. So Lou doesn't have to be involved in the action. Like, do you maybe try that with the bigs? Like, how, how would you approach that and what adjustment would you make with that? Yeah, I think the I'm not a big fan of drop against Luca just because his ability to score, it, it, it really does kind of hurt you because if the screen setter, if it's Porzingis or anybody else sets a good screen, you know, Porzingis come, I mean, excuse me, Luca Doncic comes off and he has a clean look. That's a problem and that could be an issue. I'm a bigger fan of, and if I still have Doc on the phone, mix in more traps and more blitzes on Luca. Get the ball out of his hands early and have him uh, and, and have the rest of the guys try to create and, you know, live with that. You know, they got to win three more games. I don't know if they can do that, you know, if you're really being aggressive. I mean, that's the one thing we saw in the regular season that I haven't seen too much in these two games is just them being super aggressive on Luca when he has the ball. And, you know, the, the pre-switching stuff scares me, to be honest, Jovan, just because I think it opens up opportunities for more mistakes. You know, like that's just something that you got to be really, really sharp on defense to be able to handle that. And I think a lot of that comes with chemistry and work over time and things like that. And I just think they're not there. I mean, we, we harp on it all the time. This team hasn't played to get, you know, had the whole unit together. Uh, shoot, it feels like almost all year. And I think that's something that they got to uh, – I think the pre-switching takes a lot more time to nail. I think that's for teams that have the continuity and know each other well. I just don't think this team has that. So pre-switching to me, probably out the window. But I would be more aggressive, have the big man up, and just trap Luca. You know, you have two pit bulls in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. <clears throat> Find ways to, to, to get the ball out of – to get one of them involved in the pick and roll – and and have him attack. I mean, at one point, Luca. At one point, Kawhi was on Luca, and you know it, the ball just didn't go to Luca. And you know, and I think that was a smart decision. And I think you know that let's see what the Mavs can do if the ball's not in Luca's hands. And I think that's something the Clippers really should start considering and being more aggressive with him. So outlook for this series. Um, you know, coming into this series, the Clippers were heavy favorites. I, I think most people pick them to win this in four or five. Um, you know, a few people I, I saw in terms of like national reporters and stuff picked them in six. But for the most part, they were heavy favorites. Um, I, I do think you can make the case that there's a chance they would have been down 0-2 if Kristaps Porzingis hadn't been ejected. Now, that is a you know purely hypothetical. We don't know how the rest of that game uh, ends up playing out. But I don't think the defense has been good the first couple games. Um, I thought the offense was pretty good in game one and decent to you know average uh, in, in game two. Um, where are you at with concern level? Because for me, I, I had said this you know before this series even started. Like after the Lakers and the Rockets. Dallas to me might have been the third hardest matchup for the Clippers. Um, you know, I, for me, they might have been right there, neck and neck with Denver. Um, but you know, comparing them to Utah, comparing them to OKC, I thought they clearly were a tougher matchup than either of those two teams, despite being a seven seed. You know, with Luka Doncic, an MVP candidate, with Rick Carlisle and his elite coaching, with Kristaps Porzingis, who is just a, a really unique matchup problem at seven foot three, pick and pop big. 
um, and, and just with that offense and, and being a historically elite offense. Um, my, you know, my panic meter isn't at like a high level, but I would say it's a good four right now. And, and to me, like, I, I think this series looks like it's going to go six based on the way the first two games went. Um, but where are you at with that? And um, let's just get out of here on that. Like, where are you at with the panic? And if any at all, and, you know, do the Clippers actually have to uh, try and, and kind of, you know, not just get by on their talent? Because I, I feel like there's a lot of that in the first two games. Yeah, I, I'm not panicked. I'm worried, though, or concerned, concerned. Let's go with concerned, not not even worried. But I That's have a good con- word. <laughs> I have concerns. You know, there, there are things that they need to clean up that I, I trust that they will. Um, you know, I thought like Marcus Morris was really good defensively in this game. I think there's just a matter of you got to sharpen up here and, and get going. You know, the Mavs do present challenges. I didn't think and, and I could still end up being right. They could win the next three games and we'll be like, oh, OK, see, uh, you know, I didn't think the Mavs could present that much of a challenge for them because I just I ultimately thought the Clippers were just going to be more aggressive offensively. And that they really have, I mean, excuse me, defensively. And they really haven't been with Luka. And that's, you know, I know I'm harping on the same things, but that's the most surprising thing to me in this series is just I haven't felt like they really pressured Luka and and, and put a challenge to the rest of the Mavs. Now, granted, the Mavs made that run with Luka on the bench, but it's a bit different when Luka's on the floor and all of a sudden you can't get the ball to him. And I think that's something that I'm waiting to see if the Clippers will go to that. You know, we know how big game three is going to be. And and if they don't come out ready to roll, they're going to go from concerned to uh, almost panicked very quickly. All right. Well, you, you heard it there. Uh, I, I'm with you. I, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think one thing I'll just quickly note is Dallas's defense has really impressed me because on paper, that was the biggest difference between these two teams. Um, you know, both teams had two all-star level guys. Of course, the Clippers are better and, um, you know, you, you'd favor their two guys in, in a matchup. But, um, you know, really good coaches, really good offenses, uh, you know, solid depth, uh, two all-star level guys on both sides. But to me, the difference was just the defense. You know, the Clippers had better defensive personnel. They were a top five defense. The, the Mavericks finished 18th. And that would kind of be the end of the floor where, sure, Dallas is going to score, but they can't stop the Clippers. And, through two games, I've been pretty impressed with the way Dallas has defended them. You know, they're not shutting them down by any means, but um, they are holding their own. And, you know, their Trey Burke has been effective. I, I think Seth Curry has been decent at pressuring the ball. Um, even Luka has been okay in, in some instances. Like, they're not getting blown by and torched the way you, you think they would on paper and, and really basing off of the three regular season matchups. So, um, that to me is, you know, I think that's good coaching on Rick Carlisle. I think that's good game planning. Um, and obviously the personnel like applying that and, and being disciplined, you know, that, and that's to bring it back to, uh, to discipline. But Mo, thank you so much. Um, I appreciate you coming on. I'm sure I'll have you on next week at some point <laughs> to either talk about game five or game six or who knows, maybe they're, um, you know, in, in playing Denver at that point. But um, where can people find you on social media and where can they find your work uh, on The Athletic and Bleacher Report? Right. So I, I write for Bleacher Report. I'm on Brody and the Beard, a Houston Rockets podcast for The Athletic, as well as Nerder She Wrote, part of the NBA show uh, lineup that we have. And Nerder She Wrote airs on Friday. Uh, you can find me at Twitter at, at Mo Dekeel, M-O-D-A-K-H-I-L underscore NBA. 
and uh, yeah, just follow me there and you'll you'll be able to see what I'm doing. All right. Well, as always, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Jovan Buha. That's at J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. If you have not subscribed to this podcast, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and The Athletic, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Give me a nice five-star rating. Uh, and if you have not subscribed to The Athletic, I don't know what you're doing, but you can go to theathletic.com slash Google to help out this podcast, help me out, help the athletic out, uh, would be much appreciated, but thank you for listening. I'll be back next week to most likely discuss game four. Uh, depends how games three and four play out, but, um, very excited to see how this series, uh, ends up kind of going because, uh, it's already been better than I thought it would be. So, uh, thank you guys for listening and I'll talk to you next week.